Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Coster Show presented by The Big Lead. March Madness is here. And the tournament has not started yet, but I got everything I could have possibly hoped for already. This Michigan State basketball team is not a particularly fearsome one. It's not a particularly good one. But all year, a group of glue guys, perfectly capable of scoring three points on a night or 16 points. There's about nine people on the roster like that. You never know what you're going to get. You can call it the Forrest Gump box of chocolates of basketball teams. A couple wins in the Big Ten tournament, including one over Wisconsin, which was particularly enjoyable. Marcus Bingham looking like the player many in East Lansing hoped he could become by the time he's a senior, ultimately lose to Purdue. All I wanted going into this tournament was a chance at Duke and Coach K, one last dance. And ladies and gentlemen, we got it. We did it. If the Spartans can get past Davidson and that pesky foster lawyer. My expectations are not super high for this team. They have made long runs as a seven before. They have gone out early as a two. Tom Izzo will tell you that seating does not matter. It's about matchups. It's about playing the games. It's about getting it done, and it's correct. But when you weigh the evidence of what the ceiling is for this team, especially with Tyson Walker's injury, especially with Gabe Brown's penchant for disappearing, especially with Max Christie showing the obvious pains that is development as a freshman, especially with recent lackluster three-point shooting. I'm not scheduling a plane trip to New Orleans just yet. But if there's a way to go out, You want to go out against the best, getting one more swing at the apple, one more time for Tom Izzo 
and Coach K to match up. Coach K has been kicking this guy around for years, but the last two times they've played, once in the tournament with a spot in the Final Four on the line with Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, the team that could not be beaten. And once in the regular season, the Spartans have proven victorious. I don't think it's going to happen this time, but I think if you're going to lose in the NCAA tournament, going out to Coach K, just having the opportunity to end the Legends coaching career, even if it ends in defeat, is something to celebrate. Now, circle back with me on Sunday night, and we'll see where we're at. Maybe this game doesn't even come to fruition. I think that Michigan State is a two-point favorite over Davidson, as is, so I'm not counting any chickens before they're hatched. But I would love, love to see the final chapter in the Duke Legends book written by none other than Tom Izzo in this team, which embodies that workmanlike, unsexy, grinding, but rise to the moment when it matters most ethos that has become synonymous with Michigan State basketball. The second reason I've won already, and I am coming to you full of appreciation, full of optimism, full of hope, full of looking at the sunny side, because that's a 940 on Friday night game, the ideal time slot. You've already won in the NCAA tournament if you're playing late on Friday night because it means that you get two full days of basketball watching without the possibility of it being ruined by elimination. It's the best. And then if you win on Friday night, you get all Saturday, you get all Sunday before you have to play again. Time slots, exceedingly important. So because I've talked about Michigan State a little bit on this podcast as the season's going on, I thought I'd give you a coda on the pre-tournament feeling, the vibe in my personal dojo, and it's feeling pretty good. I think that season has already been a success. Everything on top of this will be gravy. Going into it with no expectations and the scheduling gods lining up to potentially have one of the most memorable games in the school's history in the school's history, because whoever knocks out Coach K will have that forever. Well, that's a lot more exciting than maybe playing Loyola and then maybe Tennessee in the second round. So thank you, schedule makers. Thank you, selection committee. We're praying we see this matchup. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be fine either way, even with it, even if it's a loss. And I think I'm still going to be singing the same tune, even if Duke crushes. Michigan State. Haven't looked at a complete bracket yet. Don't do that until Wednesday. I'll get my picks and selections out there tomorrow. What I will say is I love Iowa. That's one of the things I talked about with my guest today, Rob Doster from the field of 68. I have been a fan of what he's been doing over there in concert with Jeff Goodman for some time now. The growth has been fantastic. They put out a great product. We talked about how the idea came to be some of the tinkering that went involved to make it look like it looks now, how he feels having ownership over something uh, in from the beginning and being able to craft it to go in the direction he pleases as well as about 10 minutes on the actual tournament. 
I am much higher on Iowa than he is. He is uh, an anti-Big Ten guy. Uh, I'm going to have to sick everybody here in the beautiful Midwest on him if those predictions prove to be inaccurate from him. So stick around. I'm going to play that interview. Very excited for the tournament. Very excited for baseball coming back. We are in a good mood over here, and nothing is going to kill the vibe. As we welcome in Rob Doster from the field of 68, I've been following your work for a long time when you were at NBC, kind of one of the voices in college basketball, which I think is an undercovered element of the sporting landscape. You're with Field of 68 right now. How did that process come to be after leaving NBC and trying to create something new? What were your goals and how did you go about accomplishing them? So I left uh, not of my own volition. I was laid off in August of 2020 as part of their uh, their COVID cutbacks. They, they made a pivot to more video content. Um, and so they got rid of a bunch of people that did stuff on the writing side. And a lot of their like the, the sports talk platforms kind of uh, kind of, you know, bit it at the end there. Um, and when that happened, I had I, got, I had a little bit of a buyout and uh, I got a call from uh, Jeff Goodman, the stadium. And he was kind of like, you should you should build your own thing. This doesn't exist. There's no uh, there's no college basketball completely focused media coverage. It's, it's undercover market. And, and I kind of agree with them. So the way we started it was we tried to do something where we had a team specific podcast with the former player uh that would just bring on his former teammates and his former coaches and current players and current coaches and, and fans and beat writers and, and try to do it a something where you have these guys that that played for the team talking about it because I mean who knows what it's like playing for some of these programs better than the guys that have actually played for them um, and that that worked well for the first year but what we found was uh, two things one uh, Jeff and I did a, a, a stream every single morning at 9 a.m. for the entire season and. Uh, we kind of focused it like our idea was, yeah, let's do, we'll do a live betting stream every single morning. But what we found was people were just as engaged in some of the instant reaction stuff and talking about the games that had happened the night before. Uh, and then during the tournament last year, we just started jumping on these live streams immediately after it ended. No planning, no fancy graphics, nothing like that. We just jumped on a stream um, and and talked about what happened. And we found that we got more more views, more eyeballs, more interaction, more people paying attention to it than we did for anything else that we did across the entire entire network of, of like 30 something shows. Uh, so what we decided this year was let's just lean in. If that's what people want, if that's what people are consuming, if that's what they're reacting to, if that's what they seem to enjoy the most, why wouldn't we just lean into that? Uh, so what we did this year was we created a like our brand, the field of 68 after dark. And every single day during the season, save for like um, a couple of Sundays when there was football going on and some of the Fridays where there was a slow, it was a slow night in college hoops. And, you know, the, thankfully there was like that four day break over Christmas where nobody played. So we kind of like uh, relax a little bit. We've, we've gone live every night for an hour on a show that's been streamed on YouTube. It streams on our Twitter accounts. Uh, we have it now simulcast on, um, Sirius XM that started in mid January. And from there, it's just kind of, it's, it's taken off and it's blown up. And it's, it's, we were able to like on Thursday night, Madison square garden after the big East tournament, we uh, did a show live from 
the floor of Madison Square Garden broadcast on Sirius XM had uh, the, you know, UConn's head coach was brought out to us after they won a game. And it's just, it's pretty amazing that something that was just kind of thrown together because I had time to kill in the middle of a pandemic because I was laid off has turned into something in 18 months where we're doing shows on the court at Madison Square Garden. It's, it's, it's hard to believe it's grown like this, but I think it tells you, I mean, you, you, you nailed it, man. It's an undercovered uh, fan base. And, and I have a, tell me what you think about this. I have a theory on why college basketball, the fans are more diluted across, um, across uh, schools and programs and teams than any other sport in the country. When it comes down to it for college football, there's probably like 25 teams that people really pay attention to. And then like 10 of them matter at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, right? It's like Mm -hmm. Oklahoma and Texas and Alabama and um, all of Georgia and Penn state and Ohio, like all those like massive brands really, really matter. But but once you get past that, you don't really have to pay attention to that many schools Um, in the NBA and in major league baseball and in the NFL, uh, you're going to have probably, you know, once you get a couple weeks into the season, you're going to know, like, these are the 10 teams you need to pay attention to. These are the 12 teams you need to pay attention to. And, you know, especially the NBA, it's all about the stars, right? That's what people are coming to watch, not coming to watch specific teams. In college basketball, it's like there's 70, 80, 90 high major teams that you all, people are going to be fan, fans of. People are going to be paying attention to. There are like 25, 30, 40 that, that really need kind of in-depth coverage and that fans are looking for. And what that the, the result is that no one team and no one topic is going to ever do great numbers. But that doesn't mean that there isn't this massive audience that cares about the sport as a whole. So uh, that's kind of the market that we tried to fill. All right. Let me. So when I grew up, baseball tonight was my favorite show. Like I come home, I was 13 years old. I turn on ESPN and I'd sit there for an hour and just catch up on everything that happened with baseball that day. And that didn't exist in college hoops. And, and so I figured uh, baseball, major league baseball and college basketball are kind of similar in the fact that like, they don't, they're never going to be the biggest thing nationally, but where they matter, they matter more than anything else. Um, uh, any other sport, whether it's, you know, the state of Kentucky, the state of Indiana, uh, the state of Kansas, um, UConn fans, uh, even cities like Memphis and Wichita, like that, that college basketball more, matters more than anything else in certain regions. So we just tried to, to, to find something that, that could serve that audience. And it's, I mean, it's worked. It's caught on. People are paying attention to it. I buy your theory. It's a numbers game. I mean, how many division one basketball teams are there? It's over 358 now. Okay. 358. That's that's an obscene number. That's like 11 times the NFL or the NBA. It's funny. You mentioned baseball because I would say that baseball and college basketball are my two loves as well. And both are intensely regional. Uh, and it's kind of like this little thing that you share with the community. And I think as time has gone on, people have been more interested in having the thing that they like be popular with the masses. I've kind of gone the opposite way, knowing that, hey, I'm passionate about this stuff. I like it. It's the same reason when people try to fix baseball. I'm like, no, just just stay out of it. Like, we're good. It's, it's, it's all good. And in college basketball, the news cycle gets to the point where at this time of the year, everybody's talking about the tournament and learning who these players are for the first time. And those of us who have kind of been following it for a long time, I feel like, yes, come along. It's fine, but it's been here the whole time. Like you've always had access to this and there's a certain type of passion that comes in college basketball too. Like teams don't go undefeated. If you're not 
Gonzaga or playing in a small conference like like that. I guess it's Indiana's the last one to actually do it. But it's kind of a grind. Like their expectations set in a in the same way that there are in European soccer, where if you're a fan of let's say Minnesota basketball, you want to make the final four, but you also kind of have reasonable goals where you're like it would be awesome to have a 20 win season. So you kind of set those expectations where they are. And maybe I other people understanding what fandom is for a specific school's alumni or fan base is a little bit difficult because in pro sports, it's win at all costs, win the championship, Mm -hmm. nothing else is okay. And I think in college sports and in football, it exists as well. But I think in basketball, it exists in a much larger way because as an alum of Michigan State in 24 straight tournament births, I was trying to explain that to my wife and saying, yeah, it's hard to make the tournament. Like we make it every single year, but it's kind of these barriers and these stepping stones that you achieve. And maybe it's not the most triumphant success, but it means an awful lot to the people who are sharing in it. So I think you kind of have to connect on a level that's different than an NFL team or an NBA fan base where you're getting the intense overreaction. I think that college basketball, maybe more than any other sport outside of baseball requires a little bit of holding the reins, keeping a broad view, kind of having a calm approach to it because it is this race that comes to a head every single March. But I do think that the market has always been there. And it when you go live after every single big event, that's the thing that's missing in the mm-hmm. media landscape more than anything. I know that these new things like green room and spaces and all that are trying to capitalize on that. But when is it best to listen to sports radio? It's best to listen to sports radio after a big loss or a big win when the energy is still high. And I think is the landscape has opened up and then more and more people have had access and the opportunity to do that. Fewer have realized what I think you guys have got at 68 this year, do it when the passion is the highest. And then I think the other key thing that you did was make it a routine and regular thing, have a schedule and stick to it. Were there ever some nights where it was tough to get up the energy to do it because it is a grind. You're some, not diving for loose balls, but I'm, uh, I'm, your face tells me it's more than some. Yeah. It's just, there, there are nights when there's not a lot happens and you're just like, all right, it's 11 o'clock. I would just, I've watched these three games on the couch. I'm tired. My kids are going to wake up at six 30 in the morning. How am I going to have the energy to, to do something that's entertaining? Um, but I mean, that's just kind of, that's what, that, that's what you have to do. You know, if, if you want it to be something that someone can rely on every single night, you have to show up and do it every single night when you say that you're going to do it. And uh, I think that the, getting it on series was probably a really big thing for us because it forced us to have to um, not, that, I mean, we did it every night. That's not, that's just kind of how the way that we operate, but um, it, it forced us to, we have to be on time. We have to be there for an hour. We have to schedule it out. We have to have this plan. We have these ad breaks here. We have to have this kind of conversation here. So uh, it gave it a little bit more of a structure than it had uh, before um, we got on there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a grind, man. It's a, like, the, uh, there's really no other way to say it every single night at 11 o'clock. And, and it's not, we don't just end at midnight either. We do, we, we call it the, the after. So we'll, uh, we'll go for probably another 20 minutes and try to interact with the YouTube chat. And I mean, that's, that's the big thing. I think the great thing about, um, 
about the post game shows and sports radio is, is the interaction that you get with people as fans. And when you're just doing stuff on, uh, on, on TV, or you're just doing stuff on the radio, you don't really get to see that immediate feedback. And, and we actually have a chat. I mean, the chat on our YouTube channel goes, goes nuts. Like at this time of year during the, our, we did a selection show special where I think there were, um, uh, there were, I think there were like 1700 people watching live, um, for most of the show. Like the, the chat was just going crazy with people asking for predictions and asking questions and we'll answer questions that pop up there and um, we'll do competitions like I, I had to shotgun a white claw on a stream once because we needed to get a certain number of likes, which was uh, awful. I don't know if you've ever tried to shotgun a, 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 one of these hard seltzers, but it's a pretty uh, miserable experience when you have to do it. But um, I mean, that's that's been the most rewarding part. Like when you see the same names pop up over and over and over and over again in the chat, it, it, it lets you know that people are connecting with this. This isn't just a, a product of the algorithm. This isn't just a product of finding a good spot in March because that's just the we've been there for long enough. And the YouTube gods rewarded us with a bunch of viewers. No, I mean, these are people that are coming back to the channel over and over and over again because you see the same names. You see the same people popping up. So that's. I think that's been the most rewarding part. People are connecting with it. What's it been like to do this your way to build something from scratch? Uh, it's an opportunity that doesn't come along often. And maybe it's something that you never would have considered doing had you not been forced into it. When you reflect on kind of like, I'm sure what was a low point to where you are right now with all this momentum, what has that like emotional journey been like for you? It's it's incredibly rewarding to to kind of have it be yourself. Like, because the the thing about NBC is they basically bail. They never. I don't think they ever really wanted college basketball coverage there. They, they don't have television contracts. Um, it really only matters one month out of the year. But if you're not covering it all year round, you're never really going to be able to get anything good out of that one month. Um, and you know, it's just it, it's been incredibly rewarding to prove to people that this is something that, that people do care about, even when it's not the month of March. And you know, maybe when you're going up against the NFL playoffs on a weekend, it's not going to be the most covered thing, but there's still games on Monday nights and Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights and Thursday nights that matter just as much. There's still Kentucky fans that are going to go crazy every single time that they play on a Saturday afternoon. So being able to prove people wrong that this is something that couldn't exist in, in, uh, in this space has been, you know, it's, it feels nice to be able to say, yeah, I was right. I told you so, you know, that's always a nice thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you got, uh, do you have your own like motivational billboards or uh, chalkboards? You've been eating the rat poison, like Nick Saban says? No, no, but I do have a, I do have a mental checklist of all the, uh, it's, you know how, you know how all these professional players and college athletes be like, yeah, all my doubters, all my haters. And it's like, dude, you, there was like three people on Twitter that said a mean right. thing to you. You don't right. have doubters or haters, but like now I'm that guy. Cause I'm like, yeah, you doubted me. And they didn't doubt me. Or it's like, I build up these rivalries in my head with other college basketball podcasts. It's like, yeah, I got to be better than Norlander show, you know, but, um, and like that Nor Nordy's one of my best friends in the business. So it's, 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 it's funny to see how the, uh, how the competitive juices like affect these guys. And I, I totally, I'm never going to make fun of anyone for saying, yeah, I proved my haters wrong. So I'm sitting here like I had three people make fun of me on Twitter and I got to prove them wrong now. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been nice to be able to do that. And to answer your question. Yeah. I have a, I have a mental Rolodex of the people that have doubted this, uh, this journey and this, this thing that we're building. 
for my money, there's no better day on the sporting calendar than the first Thursday of the NCAA tournament. And I think it's one of the few things as I've grown more cynical in life, I hear that first note of the song and I'm ready to go. And I know I'm going to be watching 48 hours of basketball over the next four days. Do you still get up for it? I know that when yeah. something becomes your job, we tend to change our relationship or in ways that, you know, don't make it, uh, it you know, as, as fun as it, and exciting as it maybe it was when we were younger. But I got to imagine that the tournament is something that's almost like recession proof in terms of retaining the magic. It's, it's the March basketball. Like even the, the conference tournaments are great. The, the stuff that really is kind of like, all right, can we just, can we get this over? It's, it's the end of February. It's like the last two weeks of the season where um, you've kind of said all that you can say about the teams that are title contenders. Everybody knows what every team is. You're playing out the string. Half of these leagues have already had their conference tournament decided. You're talking about uh, who's going to get in the tournament, who's on the bubble, like who's going to be in the first four, and all these teams are going to be gone after 40 minutes of play in the tournament. So it's just kind of that's when you get to the point where it's just kind of like, all right, let's just let's get to the stuff that matters. Let's play these tournaments. But being in the building for the Big East tournament, being in the building for the ACC tournament, like the the environments that there, I, I swear there's nothing better than a, a, a high-level neutral site college basketball game where I was telling someone this the other day. When you're in the building and there is as much noise for the – if someone's at a free throw line at the end of the game and there's as much noise when the guy is shooting as there is celebrating after he makes the shot, that's when you know you're in the right place because that's when you know – Madison Square Garden holds, what, 19,000 people? There's going to be 10,000 fans of one team and 9,000 fans of the other, and that's when it gets really, really entertaining. Let's do 10 minutes quickly here on the tournament. It is the most open I can remember in a long time. I'm probably looking back. You could well actually me on this, but there's no dominant team. At the same time, I feel like there kind of is. Um, I think that Gonzaga is pretty damn good. I think they're just as good as they were last year. If you had to say right now who the favorite would be in your eyes, would it be Gonzaga or would it be someone else? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, they've, they're the best team. All of the, the sports books have them as the overwhelming favorite. They're the number one team on Kempom. They're the number one, number one team on Torvik. They're uh, what, 32 and three or whatever their record is. Um, they're, they're a really, really good team, but I don't think that they are as good as they were last year. And I think that um, they are uh, closer to the field than what some of those metrics and what some of those sports books are going to end up telling mm -hmm. you. Um, I, I just, the, the way that I like to phrase it is this, they're, they're kind of like tier one A, and then there are probably nine teams that are in tier one B for me. So they're just, they're a little bit ahead of the rest of the field but not so much that it's like, you, all right, you got to, when you, as soon as you start your bracket, you got to pencil them all the way into the final four and then figure it out from there. I don't think that they're that good. Um, I actually, I don't even have them winning the title. I have Kentucky winning the title this year. What do you see from the Wildcats that makes you think that? Um, a, a bunch of different things. One is that they're, they, they kind of, they fit the mold of the, uh, the two point guard system, right? If you go back and you look at all the national champions since 2010, every single one of them, has had uh, two has, has played two point guards primarily um, with the exception of 2012 Kentucky that had Anthony Davis and Michael Keegan Gilchrist and Marcus Teague at the point. So the top two picks and a couple other NBA players on the roster. So um, unless you have a generational talent like Anthony Davis, you need two point guards to win a national title. I mean, think about it last year, Davion Mitchell and, and Jared Butler uh, at Baylor 
In 2019, it was Kihei Clark and Ty Jerome for Virginia. In 2018, it was Jalen Brunson and whoever you want to put as the other playmaker on, on that Villanova team. Uh, 2017, Nate Britton, Joel Berry. Uh, 2016, Ryan Archidiakono, Jalen Brunson for Villanova. 2015, Joel I, I go all the way back. Uh, and they're, they, so they fit that mold. They defended a high level. Uh, they have the National Player of the Year um, in, in Oscar Shibwe, who is a guy that is perfectly happy to just go out and play his role as a rebounder, play his role as an interior presence, play his role as a guy that is going to wall up at the rim. Um, I think that his his energy and effort, the success that he has had uh, playing that role on a team that has a bunch of talent outside of him has been good for the culture in that locker room. You know, if, he, if, if you see him willing to sacrifice and he's going to be the national player of the year, then why isn't anyone else going to sacrifice as well? Um, they got shooting. They, uh, to me, they just have everything you need to be able to go out and win a national title. So, And despite all that, I would say that they kind of flew under the radar in a way that Kentucky teams don't usually – Mm -hmm. uh, do is Iowa one of those one B teams that you mentioned before? Because I'm high on them. You're shaking your head. Am I suffering from recency bias? Because what I see no. is their offense is pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, Fran McCaffrey's record in the tournament is not too impressive. But I went into the Big Ten tournament thinking that they were the best team in the conference, and that idea has not not changed. Obviously, with them winning it all you don't seem to be as high on the Hawkeyes chances as, as well, I, I think that they're really good and they're really dangerous offensively and they're capable of beating teams that you don't think that they would be able to beat. I just, I, I have very real concerns about teams that aren't really good on the defensive end of the floor. Um, you know, there's, there's only so many times you're going to be able to, uh, to put together like 80, 90 point performances back to back to back. At some point you're going to have an off night and how do you win when you don't shoot the ball well? that's that's my big thing with his Iowa team um if you go back and you look at it uh in the history of Ken Palm's database the only time or the the lowest ranked team to win a national title entering the tournament was North Carolina in 2009 they ranked 39th in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency metric heading into the tournament in 2015 Duke was 37th Iowa right now is outside the top 70 Purdue right now is outside the top 100 so I don't think either of those teams, I don't think there's anybody in the Big Ten that can win a national title. I would say the only team that I think has a, a really, really good shot of getting to the Final Four would be Illinois. But Illinois, I think I have them losing to Chattanooga in the first round of the tournament. So um, I think that this is going to be another year with the Big Ten where you're like, why did we hype them up so much? These guys didn't do anything in March. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. We'll see if I end up being wrong. But uh, as it stands, I'm looking at my bracket right now. I have. Um, I have two Big Ten teams in the Sweet 16 and no Big Ten teams in the Elite Eight. Uh, what's the other one besides Michigan State? Wisconsin. I think the bracket opens up beautifully for Wisconsin. I don't that I, I, I think that about MSU, but oh for oh Michigan State. Um I got them losing to uh to Davidson. Foster lawyer revenge game. Yeah, I gotta say if Foster Lawyer beats Michigan State, um good for him. I, I would be surprised. I, I'm very anxious to see what that looks like. I know that he averaged over 16 points of a game this year. Uh, I, I just kind of got to see it through my own. Well, he, I mean, he, he found his level, but that's the biggest thing. Like a lot of these guys, you can be a great Atlantic 10 player and not fit in, in the big 10. You can be uh, you can average 22 a game at some of these smaller conferences and you get up to the high major leagues. And it's like, yeah, you know, it doesn't really work. You don't have, 
quite that level of quickness or quite that level of burst or being a 5'10 lead guard is not going to work when you're going up against some of these high major dudes. So, uh, I mean, it's just, yeah, that's the bit. He found his level. And, and that's that's really what you need to do to be able to thrive in college basketball. Make sure that you are at the right place for you. What's the most surprising team you have going the furthest? I have Virginia Tech in the Sweet 16. I think that they can make a run. I have Indiana winning a couple games. And I honestly would not be surprised to see Indiana in the Sweet 16. Uh, you know, I, if you go and look through all of these these expert predictions, uh, you see people having UVM beat Arkansas. You see Chattanooga, I have Chattanooga beating Illinois. Uh, I think South Dakota State over Providence is going to be a really trendy upset pick. Um, no one's talking about Akron over UCLA. But remember, Akron almost won at Ohio State on the first game of the regular season. Uh, uh, UCLA is a team that has not really gotten – it feels like they haven't gotten out of second gear all season long. They've been so uh, disjointed maybe, with injuries. Yeah, injuries and COVID stuff. And, and so we'll see what ends up happening with them in the tournament. But I would not be surprised to see Akron pull off that upset. And if they do, I could see Indiana beating Wyoming, beating St. Mary's, and then beating Akron and getting to the Sweet 16. I have, I have Baylor – losing in the second round so it, it it's it's not impossible for us to wake up on march 26th and see uh, indiana in the elite eight that's not something that that's not an inconceivable idea for me which is yeah. crazy if you think about it indiana in the elite eight i think it could happen that'll make my coworker ryan phillips a very very happy man yeah, I see it. I mean, I think that they can play inside and they can play outside and they kind of have a lot of pieces. And, and Mike Woodson has improved as a coach throughout the year from not knowing basically how timeouts work to, uh, you know, kind of figuring it out as he goes and acclimating himself. It'll be really interesting if he does make that run, what that says about his legacy uh, going from the NBA to college. I don't know if people were predicting that level of success that early, uh, but, you know, as a Big Ten guy, I appreciate it. What, uh, what can we expect from the field during the tournament? What does the content schedule look like? So on the first two days of the tournament, we are going to be at the Rivers Casino Sportsbook in Philadelphia. Uh, they have a studio set up there, and they're letting us take it over. Uh, we're going to be doing pregame shows, midday shows, kind of like a drive time thing. We're going to do postgame shows. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. We're, we're going to be there for... We're going to do six streams over the course of two days uh, while spending 16 hours straight in the casino, which uh, probably I don't know if that's necessarily the smartest idea in the world, but I think we're going to have a good time doing it. Um, then it'll just be standard late night stuff until we get to the final four. Once we get to the final four, we're going to, we have a we have a venue down there. Um, we haven't announced it yet, but we're going to be doing, again, live shows from down there uh, from one of the bars on Bourbon Street. Uh, which will be, again, we're going to be spending 12 hours a day down there in a bar doing two shows, which is sounds like a great idea on paper. We'll see if that ends up being something that makes a lot of sense by the time it's all said and done. That's Rob Doster, the field of 68, laying out a scenario in which his health rapidly deteriorates over the next <laughs> month and his bank account dwindles. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, man. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. 
That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.